Ion 2020 episode 247. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey y'all, Ray Eaton here, host of Ion the impeachment i i mean i on 2020 uh this is your source for the impeachment news as well as i suppose i'll talk about some of the democrat candidates republican candidates i'll talk about some of the libertarian candidates here and there as well but pretty much all you get in the news lately it drives me absolutely crazy is the impeachment process but i mean that's a big deal it only happens every once once every 20 years or so it happened under in the 70s happens in the 90s it happens in the uh, 20 teens, I guess. So here we are. I get. I guess we'll probably have one again in like 2032 or 2038 or something like that. We'll see what happens. But that's what I've been focused on a lot lately, I guess. So I'm sorry if I'm boring the crud out of you. I'm going to focus on something that might be of interest to you. Who knows? If you like to know what the Democrats are thinking, if you like to know what some of the candidates are thinking on certain policies and proposals and stuff, then this might be the show for you guys as well. I'm going to try to focus a little bit less on the uh, entire impeachment proceeding. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I think through the year anyway, I'm going to, like I said last week, or in yesterday, that I'm going to, my final show will be on Thursday. So in a couple of days, that'll be the final show for the year. And then I'll come back after the Christmas break that my kids have. And after uh, New Year's, I'll start doing the show again. That'll be that Monday after New Year's. So New Year's is on a Wednesday. I'll shoot for starting the show back up on Monday uh, after New Year's. And the reason why I'm doing that is just because I'm going out of town with the family, taking the kids snowboarding up in New Hampshire, and I want to have a good time. And I don't want to be having to focus too much on the show, especially when we think we're, we're going to be... We actually drive up there because we have all of our equipment and stuff, and it's just uh, way less expensive to, to uh, drive than to fly. And especially when you have four four people going and a lot of equipment as well. So we go ahead and just throw it all in the car and do a two-day trip, uh, stay at a hotel somewhere in Jersey or something, maybe uh, in Connecticut, and then cruise the rest of the way up there the next day. It's not that bad, but that's what we're going to be doing. And I don't want to be focusing in on the show, but I'm trying to spend as much time as I can with my family. Uh, So Thursday, like I said, will be the last show of the year, and then I'll come back after that. But um, today, what I wanted to talk about with you guys is an NBCnews.com article that I found. And it's basically highlighting a public education forum 2020 that was sponsored. And it was in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I guess it was sponsored by the, the some national teachers union of some sort. And they invited a bunch of the Democratic candidates to the public education forum. And they all got to kind of talk about what they want to do and what their interests are in public education. Now, I'm not sure where on earth public education is listed into the the uh, Constitution by any means. I've been, I've been looking. I did not find it. I did not find it in any place where it talks about 
the president doing anything, I don't, don't find anything where Congress should have oversight over education of the United States population, and I certainly don't see it um, in the Bill of Rights anywhere, and they didn't make an amendment about it as well. So I'm curious to find out why the federal government is telling the states how to, or what to teach the kids, and I'm curious as to why the federal government should be involved in the first place, but it happened like 1979, I think, is when the uh, Department of Education was formed. I'm sure the government had some kind of oversight over things before that, but I mean, the national security state that we have, the very fact that uh, the government has its hands in every single aspect of our economy, obviously they're going to try to influence the kids as well and tell the states what to teach the kids in some ways. And that comes down to like standardized testing, that comes down to federal things that you're supposed to teach, basically. And I wonder what they are, I'm not sure. Um, but there's a lot of people that do homeschool, and there's a lot of people that do unschool, and there's a lot of people that uh, try to take their kids out of school so that they don't get indoctrinized by the state. I've heard people do a lot of that as well. And that's an interesting perspective to have. Uh, my personal feeling is that I've actually, <clears throat> I've kept my kids in public school but I do teach them on the side, you know, economics, and I teach them on the side to have a, a healthy skepticism of some of the things that they would be taught, as well as have a healthy skepticism about just in general, you know, when they talk about the government doing something that you should realize that nine times out of ten it's politicians that are just trying to get reelected. And so, so I do give them a healthy skepticism of, of, uh, government regulations and things of that nature in general. So uh, both of my kids are doing just fine, and I, I think that they'll be okay. But uh, the Democrats, they get into this public education forum. I guess a Republican would never be invited to something like this, especially when it's sponsored by the teachers' unions. But they invited, let's see here, this is the article. It says there's a six-hour forum in downtown at a downtown convention center moderated by Ali Valishi, Falshi, I guess, uh, host of MSNBC Live, and then it was uh, each candidate spoke for 25 minutes and fielded questions about K through 12, early childhood education, and higher education from the monitors and members of the audience, made up of more than 1,000 students, parents, and community members. So outside of the event, there was some people that were protesting. It says that were from charter schools, and they were just protesting the fact that none of these candidates want to. Uh, allow charter schools to have public funding or they're about cutting off public school funding or reducing public school funding uh, or in some cases just not allowing for the expansion of more charter schools. Sorry, I was talking about charter schools. So that was the interesting thing that was going on outside of the event. Uh, here's, the, here's the people that were at the event. You had uh, Michael Bennett of Colorado who, yeah, he's probably not even running anymore anyway. Uh, but he is he just hasn't dropped out of it yet. That's the senator from uh, Colorado, and he sounds so funny when he talks. I just thought it was absolutely hilarious. He sounds like Ferris Bueller's friend when he's talking to Mr. Rooney on the phone during Ferris Bueller's day off trying to get his sister out of the school. Uh, it's just that whenever I listen to him talk, that's how I feel like he sounds. Then you had former President Joe Biden. You had Pete Buttigieg. We all know who they are. Those are the two of the front runners. Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, Bernie Sanders, obviously uh, we know him of Vermont, uh, Tom Steyer or Steyer, sorry, 
who's the California businessman, and he's the one that everybody knows from all the stupid commercials he's doing, just blowing up your TV and my kid's YouTube station, by the way. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren was there, and then an eighth candidate was going to be there. That was Cory Booker, but he did not come because he had the flu. So you should have got your flu shot there, my man. But uh, he is actually the only candidate of the Democrats specifically that supports charter schools, that supports some sort of school choice for kids in the inner city, which I think that that is something that is good for Cory Booker. Like, I think that, you know, he is on the right side of that issue. Now, being a libertarian, obviously we say there should not be funding of public schools in the first place by the federal government, but at least he says, at least he's not taking a stand against charter schools in the first place. I mean, I think that all these Democrats, they just think that it's the state should run all of the schools no matter what, the, or the federal government should run the schools, tell them what to do, exactly how it's done, that there should be no school choice whatsoever, that, you know what, you're assigned to this school because that is the boundaries on which you are living and that you have to go to that school no matter what. That's pretty much what they're saying. And that just drives me crazy. Just give them more money. So anyway, let's get into what they talked about, though. Let's see what they talked about, okay? Let's get into that part of the article as well. So, like I said, there was people that were out there. They were talking about the charter schools and that they were protesting, saying, hey, you know what? We don't want our charter school funding to go away and everything else. Uh, Specifically, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg are against the expansion of public schools and they miss and Elizabeth Warren when they said you want to take away money from the charter school she says no I don't want them taking away money from public education which you know what let's be honest man public education not the best whatsoever I'm lucky I have the ability and the financial ability to basically when I moved from Florida to South Carolina, this is my, what my wife and I did. So we knew where we'd be living. We knew we'd be living in the Columbia metro area. We knew that we could live anywhere from there over to the Florence area. And we could even move into the uh, southern part of uh, North Carolina on the East Coast, right? So we knew that we can do that. So we pretty much figured out where the best schools were at. That's what we did. We had that ability. We figured out where the best schools were at the best public schools, we moved into the neighborhood that had a 10 out of 10 rating elementary school, like a 9 out of 10 rating middle school, and the high school would be like one of the top ones as well. So we knew that where we were living, we had that ability. And now if if all of a sudden crap hit the fan and those schools were, were junk and they weren't doing a good job educating students, if I knew that my kids were not going to be able to be in the gifted programs and things like that in those schools and that things would just not be good, then we could pick up and move. We have that ability. But most people don't. You got a poor person living in the, you know, in the, in the most low-income area within Columbia, South Carolina. And I've seen these schools, guys. I have. I've seen these schools. They're like the average student gets... like. You look at this. You look at the testing that these kids have, and it's just a one out of ten on every on every single level. And you look at these inner city schools, and they're terrible, and they're all over the country like that. And those parents have no ability, really, 
to change their kid's school. They don't. They're stuck in the school that they go to. Now, South Carolina has school choice where if you can get your kid to that school, you can get them into it. But the parents that don't have that ability, that just don't care or don't want to, then those kids are left behind. Shouldn't there be some sort of ability for a parent to get their kid into a charter school, get their kid in? I I mean, ideally, in the whole libertarian utopia, you would have the ability to send your kid to any school based upon your financial ability. And obviously, if your kid is talented, there would probably be scholarships available. You'd figure out other ways to fund a school. Maybe your church groups or your municipal groups or whatever would get together to help each other out. And you could send your kid to whatever school you wanted to, whether it was a public or a private school or whatever school, you know? You would have that ability, but you don't in in America now. You go where where you're zoned for, and that's it. So the people that were talking about charter schools, they wanted to fight for, you know, keep that money or whatever. So they were out there protesting, but they did not get invited to this event. So then you get into some of the topics that they covered. Um... Let's see here. So, scooting on down. So, Pete Buttigieg talked about how, you know, he doesn't like the fact that there's charter schools. Um, Even Michael Bennett was saying, oh, well, look how terrible the education is in Detroit. And Secretary Betsy DeVos really pushed for more uh, charter schools in Detroit or whatever. So, you're using one example when the reality is that charter school students tend to do better and nine times out of ten, they're found in a lottery. Like, you get into it through a lottery system, so the parents have to be dedicated to the kids, the parents have to get them into it, and they try to weed those people out. And that's that's okay. You want other talented kids to come together. Whether they're intelligent or not, they get into it through a lottery system, they get into the programs, and they still do good. Because I think kids will excel if you push them, if they're pushed. I mean, you set expectations and kids rise to that. My kids do it every day. Our expectations are, you know, are very high for my kids. And I don't think my kids are of, you know, super, or, you know, they don't have some sort of higher IQ. I mean, they might have higher IQs, who knows. But I don't think they even do IQ tests nowadays, to be honest with you. But I, 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 I don't think that my kids have some sort of, you know, gift by any means. But my kids score in the 99th percentile on the test that they take, you know? So I think kids will rise to the, uh, rise to the level of the standard that you, t- that, that you set for them. And charter schools tend to do that in the school that, I, that my kids go to and the schools, like the schools around this area that I've seen that are better schools, the principals and the people that are teaching, they have higher standards than others. And I think that's a good thing. In any situation, when you set higher standards, people are going to rise to them. So, going on. Candidates who wanted to become less... or candidates. Okay, so the first one that we talked about was... Let's see here. Title I funding. So, this is what they said. They want to spend more money, a lot more money. Much of the media attention on education has focused on how candidates want to lower the cost of college and reduce or eliminate college debt. Those issues came up on Saturday, as did a host of spending proposals to give children the kind of education that would help them succeed in college. So yeah, all of them are talking about 
you know, the college education, making it affordable or free or whatever. Sanders, Biden, and Buttigieg said they wanted to triple the funding for Title I, the governor's, or the government's main program for schools that serve children of, from low-income families. Warren said she wanted to quadruple the funding. So if you're a Title I school, you get more funding from the government per student. And these two, Sanders, Biden, and Buttigieg, they said they wanted to triple it. And then Warren... Maybe she's just being a one-upper or something like that. She's like, Warren said she wanted to quadruple it. So why wouldn't, you know, Tom Steyer jump in and say, well, I want to quintuple it. And so forth and on up down. Like it's a bidding. They're bidding against each other or something when they're doing these things. It's just amazing. But Democrat voters listen to that. They're like, oh, well, she wants to raise it by three times he wants to raise it by four times and he wants to raise it by five times what about the six who's going to raise it by six can i get a sixth sometimes i feel like that's going on in these things man it drives me crazy because first of all it's not in the constitution why is the government and why is the federal government involved in the education of or educating of students in the first place or the funding of students why can't I mean, all that money comes from the people in the states, right? So that money goes to the federal government, gets laundered basically through the IRS, and then it gets laundered through the entire process with the budget system, right? And then all of, then it eventually makes its way into the Department of Education, who then launders that money some more and then sends it back to the states. It's like the bureaucracy. Most most businesses try to get rid of a lot of that bureaucracy they try to flatten out the system they try to figure out ways to make the system or have less hands between certain things right less middlemen and now we have those middlemen in the federal government and like how much is that costing the american taxpayer when you could just keep that money in the hands of the people and then maybe if you're gonna have a tax at the state level the county level then then we could deal with it at our state or county level or our city level. We don't need the federal government taking that money and then redistributing it. That's all it is, is redistribution. But who's going to bid it the highest? Who's going to say, I want Title I funding 10 times more Title I funding? I don't know. But that's what they're trying to do. Okay. So, we get into the next one. Candidates want schools to become less segregated. I thought desegregation ended in the 60s. Um... I'm not sure that that really did happen in the sense that there are still predominantly African-American schools. There's a lot of predominantly white schools, a lot of predominantly um, Hispanic schools, I guess, depending upon the neighborhoods you live in. But, I mean, that's how the system's set up, right? The system's set up where you go to the schools that are in your neighborhood, and that's it. But what I, I just don't get the idea of how do you desegregate that then? What do you do to make that happen? Well, I guess you could start busing the kids in from different schools or busing kids to different schools. So, and you know, some sort of system where, you know what, you're in this white neighborhood and there's this black neighborhood over here. So we're going to send half the black kids to that white school or that neighborhood that has the white, the, the white neighborhood over there and then vice versa. I mean, I don't have that problem. My, my neighborhood is pretty well diversified. Um, but South Carolina seems to be pretty well diversified, except for, like, there's a few places where it's not. Um, 
But anyway, so going on. So let me read it. So it says, several candidates offered ideas to make schools less segregated in response to recent studies showing that six decades after a Supreme Court's landmark ruling Brown versus Board of Education, U.S. schools are increasingly racially segregated. That's not, like, the government making that happen, though. That's not anything except for people's choices of where they live in some ways. People choose to live in certain places, right? If the if I'm living in the inner city and I want to move outside of the inner city to get away from bad schools or whatever, then I would move to a certain area and so forth. Like people that have the ability to move, they do. Then there's then the worst students are kind of left stuck maybe in the inner city. I don't know. But that's choices of where you're living. So how does how does the government fix that? I'd love to know. Sanders, who, this is going on with the article, Sanders, who said his elementary school class in Brooklyn had just one black student, said more money would be one solution. Sanders is like 80 years old, though. Way different nowadays. He said more money would be one solution. He also vowed to beef up the Education Department's Office of Civil Rights to investigate violations. Like any school district is sitting there segregating students based upon race. I, I highly doubt that. I really do highly doubt this. That's my modern age, but hey, whatever. But he says, this is funny. That, that, that's, the funny part is, Bernie Sanders said more money would be one solution. So there's not, that's not a solution, more money. That's not a solution at all. Biden, who has taken to task by Senator Kamala Harris of California, who has dropped into the race, by the way, during a debate last summer for his opposition to school busing in the 1970s, seemed flustered when asked about segregation at the forum. But he asserted that he was extremely proud of his civil rights record. It's a good or better... It's as good or better than anybody in politics. So apparently he got defensive whenever they brought that up, even though they probably asked it to all of the candidates, I would imagine. Alright, so let's go on. Candidates tried to connect personally. Most of the candidates played up their personal connections to education, highlighting spouses and parents who worked in schools. Biden spoke of his experience with teachers who helped him as a child with a stutter. I had teachers who first and foremost worked on my confidence, told me I was smart, told me I could do what I needed to do, sat up and gave me confidence to stand up and try to speak, he said. And that's it. That's the article, huh? But the reality is this, guys. The reality is this. Most of the decisions that are made in public education should be made at the local level. They should be made at the teacher level. They should be made at the principal level, the school principal level. A principal can direct the school on how to, how to educate kids. And the reason why that's so important is because when the federal government dictates what's taught, the federal government dictates specific standards on what to teach and how to teach it. It takes the responsibility for the teaching off of the teacher who's hired to do it, off of the principal who's hired to do it, off of the entire school board and the people within it on what to do, right? It takes that responsibility off of them and places at the federal level as far away from you, the parent, as it can possibly get. And everybody, instead of pointing fingers at themselves to take responsibility for the educating of those kids, points their finger back to the federal government and says, I can't change anything 
So it's not my fault, it's their fault. And then when you want changes made, it's almost impossible to make that happen. So it takes the responsibility off of the teachers. And to be honest with you, it takes the responsibility off of the, ch- off of the parents of educating their kids. When it's the federal government that dictates it all. The federal government dictates it. So I say, or if I want to take the easy way out, I, I could say, well, my kids aren't getting educated properly. So um, I can do two, one or two things. I could blame the federal government, start looking for people to blame, or I could blame myself. And then I can change that if I want to. But when you take that decision-making process so far away from the individuals that it affects, it just allows people to be lazy about it. It allows people to, you know, ignore the problem or place blame on someone else for the problem. When the problem, when if you take away the federal government out of it, then we can blame the state. If we take the state out of it, then we can blame the county. If we take the county of it, we can blame the city. But it's not blame, it's who's going to fix the problem. Do we want the decision makings to fix the problem to be closer to home or far away from home? In business, in the business world, they say customers are so much more happy when the person they're dealing with has the individual decision making ability to fix problems. That's what makes people happy. But when when the person goes to that person at the store and says hey I have a problem and they say well hold on I don't make those decisions but that's my boss well he's not here right now then you get to the boss oh no 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 I don't have that decision making authority I don't have the authority to fix that but you know what let me see if I get approval from someone else people don't like to go through that process they want the person that they're dealing with to have the ability to fix the problems so let's keep it close to home let's start changing the way that we think about the federal government Every time there's a problem, we don't need to look to politicians and get some sort of educational, you know, town hall and see what those politicians are going to do for us if they get elected. No, let's talk to those politicians about what are you going to do to bring education back home, the decision-making process back home. If a county wants to do standardizing test, standardized testing to see how their kids add up, Let's do that. And I I guarantee you, when it comes down to it, there'll be private institutions that pick up on those things if that's what the demand is for. But when you have a one-size-fits-all program that the federal government dictates, you never really figure out what's the best solution to the problem. What's the best solution to educating the kids? Let's figure out the best solution to educate kids. And the best way to do that is to get the federal government out of it and ultimately get all of the government out of it and make it all private in some way. That's the, that's the best solution. Because then you have competition driving teachers and educators to innovate new ways, better ways to educate the kids to bring them to the next level. I mean, look at the system that we have today. You have kids that are being, basically, this is what they do. They go to school, 12 years, K through 12, boom. They graduate. 
they've sort of been separated at that point into the the workers and the kids that are going to go to college, right? So the the worker kids, they make a decision that they're not going to go on to college. They're going to go get a job at a restaurant. They're going to do whatever, right? They got knocked up in high school. Him and the, him and his girlfriend, they you know, whatever. He has to go work in construction. She does this, or you just make a decision that you're not going to go to college because you think that you can become a business owner or something. You start a car lot or whatever. Now, there's lots of things that you can do. You don't have to go to college, but over time they separate those kids. So they push certain kids to college. The the guidance counselors they guide those kids in certain directions, guide you to college. What college are you going to go to? Are you going to go to Votech? Are you going to go get a technical education, become a welder? Like those are things they guide kids towards, right? And then you go to college, you rack up a bunch of debt, and then you go into the workforce. Like that is the normal system that we have. But do we really need, I mean, my son always says this to me, what am I going to do with all this math? Like he's in sixth grade and he's learning algebra and different equations and different rules for equations and all this stuff. And he's like, when am I going to use this? Why do I need to learn this stuff? And I'm like, well, you're building a foundation for the next step. You don't want to, you don't want to not have that foundation because then you won't understand the next thing. Like it's hard to explain to him why. It really is. In the back of my mind, in my heart of hearts, I'm just thinking to myself, you're never going to use it anyway. You already figured that out. You're in sixth grade and you figured that out. I didn't figure that out until like ninth or tenth grade. So at that point, like, what would private education be like then? What would private learning be like? Would you go through basic K through five, maybe up to sixth grade, and then by the time you're 12, 13 years old, you start, if you, if, if you were in a private education world, and you were like one of the very smart kids, maybe you would get yourself into a school that focuses on becoming a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, you know, these different things that smarter people might do or business owner or entrepreneur computer programmer like maybe you would do that right off the bat and get away from all the the hoopla i mean i remember first two years of college even you're sitting there learning about greek and roman literature and you know and egyptian history like what do you need to know the humanities for they say, oh, that well, that's so you could get be become like literate about or know about the world and understand where we came from. No, it's like indoctrination. I remember all that stuff. It was getting you to believe like different things about the world, about what these philosophers would say or these poets and all this stuff. But you're going through like that first two years of college and the humanities classes that you're taking. You don't need to know that stuff. But kids go through that whole process. I mean, there's other institutions out there. There's actually different educational programs out there that I've found that you graduate from high school, you want to become a computer programmer, there's companies that will hire you so you can learn their computer program because every company has different standards that they need for people. They don't need somebody that has a bachelor's degree in computer programming or a bachelor's degree 
in computer science because they, that's not the programming languages that they would need in this company. That's not the programming processes that they would need in that company. So they'll take kids out of high school, throw them through this program for like five, five or six months with the intention that that person's going to come work them for like two or three years. And they'll put them through these programs for free. And one of them that I saw puts you through the entire program for free. And then they take the f- top 5% of students that pass through that class and they give them like an $80,000 a year salary right off the bat. And you're learning, learning computer programming. Now you're going to do that for the next three years, making $70,000, $80,000 a year. And then you have the kid that went to college and racked up $100,000 in debt over four years. What's a better process for that? But we don't see that innovation in the school system nowadays. We're starting to because people are looking for better ways of doing things. But it remains stagnant for years and years and years. But now you're starting, people are starting to understand that when you get past the co- high school stuff, college education has become so expensive that people are looking for better ways. And there's great people out there that are innovating to give you a better way to educate yourself. So anyway, guys, that's what I wanted to talk about today. These politicians do not have the answers, though. It's entrepreneurs that have the answers. Look to them. Look to yourself to make answers, to find answers. Find answers or find solutions of problems that people have. That's the key. If you want to make a difference, find solutions to problems that people have outside of government, okay? That's the key. We don't need politicians to dictate what we learn. We don't need politicians to dictate how we learn. We don't need politicians to dictate anything to us. What we need is freedom, free markets, and liberty. And that's it. That's it. We will live our lives, guys. We will. If all laws went away today, I'm not going to become a robber and start robbing people. No, we'll form, we'll figure out ways to protect each other. I don't usually advocate for that specifically right now or anything like that. I would like for us to start pulling, like getting rid of laws, getting rid of government slowly over time. My, the thing I advocate for is to change people's minds on what they expect from their government, the expectations that you have, minimize those expectations. And then over time we start seeing things become better because of that. And then we start changing the culture because one day we could have a culture that says we don't want government to do anything we are individualists we want to take care of ourselves and take care of our families ourselves take care of our communities ourselves if you're in a church take care of our church ourselves if you're in a civic organization take care of that organization yourself we don't need federal government to step in to do everything we don't need the state governments and so forth I would like to get to that point where we could have those conversations. But right now our conversation is do we get rid of the Department of Education or not? Or do we triple the funding for Title I funding for the schools? Or do we quadruple it? Or do we six times, ten times, a hundred times it? Yeah, these politicians will spend your money as much as they possibly can. So guys, that's all I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, keep on coming back. You can do that by subscribing to the show if you like what you heard. You can also go ahead and email me, Ray at If you want to uh, chat and go back and forth by email, 
Uh, you can also go onto Facebook and on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm the Empire. You do that on Facebook, on Twitter, but on Facebook, if you wanted to message me at I'm the Empire, you can as well. Which is which I've actually had several conversations with people in the past, and I really enjoy those conversations. So go ahead and do that as well. Um, five star ratings and reviews. If you can do that for me, that would be great. It helps with those algorithms so that more people can find the show as well. And then the most important thing you could do though is come back tomorrow so you can have clear vision for 2020.